0: nwp radio you're listening to nwp radio a production of the national writing project nwp NWP. happy november everyone and welcome to another edition of the national writing projects the right time a show uniting classroom educators with authors of children's and young adult literature a year ago i was a 10 i was getting ready for ncte And Penguin Random House sent me a copy of The Rise and Fall of Charles Lindbergh by Candace Fleming, and I was riveted. I was so intrigued that when my friend Stephen Bickmore announced uh, she'd be a featured author in the 2020 Young Adult Lit Summit in Vegas, I signed up right away. The craziest thing ever is that several times at that conference, she and I ended up in the same breakout rooms. I don't think I made an impression on her, but she made an impression on me, and I contacted Tanya and said, we need to interview Candace Fleming. Talk about Starstruck. Then, upon hearing this year's Publisher Weekly's Top Books, I was super excited because both The Rise and Fall of Charles Lindbergh and <laughs> Honeybee the Busy Life of Apis Mellifera, and I'm not even sure if I said that correctly, were selected as top books for children. Ready for my dad puns. I've been buzzing about her writing for some time. And my friend Susan James, I have to thank her for pollinating my ears with this great author. So Tanya, how you doing? Bad dad puns, I apologize.
1: Oh my goodness, Brian, it's always an adventure how we're gonna start a show, but dad puns are the best. (laughs) Hi everybody, I'm Tanya Baker, the Director of National Programs at the National Writing Project. Uh, many of you have been following the right time and know that a year ago we met with Brian to see if there was a way we might tap his use of young adult texts and children's books with the Connecticut Writing Project and asked him to pitch an idea. He suggested why don't we get 50 writers to celebrate 50 years of the writing project. At first we thought that was crazy or that he was kidding but he wasn't. Um, It took him no time at all to introduce us to Kristen Schultz at Random House for children, and before we knew it, the right time was off and running. Uh, we are thrilled to feature brilliant, award-winning writer of children and young adult nonfiction. Her craft is amazing, and we're so excited to have Megan here, who's brought uh, a deep reading and excellent set of questions for Candy too. So, um, I'm really excited, as always, Brian, to be here with you and with Candy and Megan today.
0: So I should admit that I get a lot of books sent to my house and often I re-gift them, I have special neighborhood Parents and special neighborhood kids that I give my books to and say, hey, give this a read. But these two books are, are by Candace Fleming, The Rise and Fall of Charles Lindbergh and Honeybee, they are going nowhere. <laughs> Charles Lindbergh book is on my shelf in my office at Fairfield University that I'd love to talk to everybody about. And Honeybee is going to be on my coffee table for a long time. Uh, Candace Fleming writes picture books, middle grade and YA biographies. Among her nonfiction titles are Giant Squid. Uh, Amelia Lost, The Life and Disappearance of Amelia Earhart, and The Family Romanoff, Murder, Rebellion, and the Fall of Imperial Russia. 2020 titles include The Rise and Fall of Charles Lindbergh, and Honeybee, The Busy Life of Apis Mellifera. She is the recipient of the Los Angeles Times Book Prize and the Orbis Pictus Award, as well as a two time recipient of the Boston Globe Hornbook Award for Nonfiction, the ALA Cybert Honor, and the SCBWI's golden kite award. Handing it over to you (laughs) Daniel.
1: It's my pleasure to introduce Megan Rodney. Megan is the elementary PD lead at the Ohio Writing Project which means she has the privilege of working with teachers and students k-6 to and all things literacy and I would like to say having seen her in action they have the privilege of working with her as well. Prior to that, she's in the classroom for 12 years as a second and third grade teacher in her hometown of Centerville, Ohio. She received her undergraduate degree at Kent State University and her graduate degree from Miami University of Ohio, where she received her Master's of Arts in Teaching from the Ohio Writing Project. Some of her other passions include reading, time with family and friends, and traveling when it's safe to do so. And Megan, I just have to make a shout out to this photograph, which (laughs) I think is amazing. I love it. Thank you. Having said all of that, I embarrassed you a little bit. I hope it's just a little bit. I'd like to turn the show to you. Um, You can introduce uh, some writing ideas and then begin your interview with Candy. Okay, great.
2: Thank you both so much.
1: And thank you so much
2: for inviting me to be a part of this. Um, Just as Brian was feeling starstruck, I am too. Um, I have a brand new favorite author and have already shared um, some of her books with a colleague of mine who used them right away um, with her second graders yesterday. So um, if I were gonna be uh, in the classroom or working with a group of teachers, um, I would probably ask them to write Um, around something called fierce wonderings, which is not my idea. I got that from Ralph Fletcher from his book, A Writer's Notebook. And so if I were going to ask children or adults to write, I would invite them to think about what they wonder, about how the world works, what questions maybe kind of nag at them or worry them, maybe those that kind of like come into your brain as you're falling asleep at night, Um, those things that make you wonder or even inspire a sense of awe in the world around you. I'd give them about three minutes to make a list of those things. And if we had extra time, I'd even ask them to elaborate on one, saying more about it, maybe attempting to answer it, or even telling a story about where that um, question or wondering came from. Um, If that was uh, maybe not something that would fit that particular audience, some other options that teachers have are potentially to write a thank you note to something they find wondrous or inspiring in the natural world, a thank you note to a person they admire, famous or not. Or additionally, one of my favorites, and I wish I could pay credit to who uh, created this, but I'm not sure. So it's again, not my idea. I learned it you know, through a colleague. It's called a three by three. You get three minutes to write as many three word phrases as you can about a prompt word. In this case, I would use nature or just writing in general as our prompt words. So those are some ideas if you're interested in writing to kind of get you ready uh, to think about Candace
1: books. Nice. Okay. Now for the main part of the show. (laughs) Thank you.
2: Um, (laughs) I'm so excited for this part. Um, I chose the Fierce Wanderings candy um, as a prompt because As I was looking through this, you know, magnificent breadth of work that you have, so many of your books seem born from your own fierce wonderings, things that make you wonder or give you a sense of gratefulness or admiration about the world around you. Um, So could you talk a little bit about your idea-generating process? How do you know, you know, what to write about next?
3: Hmm, you know, I am um, what my family calls a story collector. and I sort of trained myself over the years I'm always wandering around just in my day-to-day life and I'm always look at the world a story anyway? What's a potential story? So I wander around in my day-to-day life, and I'm always looking closely, and I'm always listening closely um, to everything that happens, to things I read, see on television, things I hear at the park, things I hear at the grocery store, everywhere I go, right? Um, or when my boys were little, they used to refer to me as an eavesdropper because I'd be like, shh, <laughs> shh, listen, shh, shh, you know, um, but I'm always looking, I'm always listening, um, and I think about things like and I, I really have trained myself to do this so I think about things like how do things look or how they smell how do they taste how do they feel most importantly how do I feel having observed it does it make me laugh then it's something to explore um, does it make me sad it's something to explore um, does it make me mad it's something to explore or curious I write a lot of non-fiction simply because I've stumbled across something that's so fascinating I have to know more Um, and so this is where sort of all those ideas come from certainly not all of them they're certainly not whole stories either they're just little nuggets right Um, little seeds of story ideas and certainly not all of those inspiration not all of that is going to be sparked into a story but um, I am a collector the ones that I end up writing are the ones that nag at me the ones that come back the ones that say don't you want to know more about this and you'll notice i use the word explore those are those ones that i say "Mm." you know they come back and they go don't you want to explore this a little bit um i write them all down i actually have my notebook i keep endless notebooks so i write all of these fragments down i take five minutes every day and i write them down i have a new notebook but you can see that it's not special which is what i like about it. it doesn't have to be special right? And there it is. You can see that, oh, I had an idea about a baby dino. You can see it's not even like I'm being very neat. It's just um, my fragments. But this is a place that I can go to mine ideas, right? Um, or if I'm writing a story, I can go and mine um, for individual elements from the story. So it really is my storehouse of ideas. Um, and this is not something new. I've been doing this since a kid. I pulled one up for you today. I've been keeping these notebooks forever. So here's my fifth grade writers. Oops, backward. My fifth grade writer's notebook. And, and Megan, that's a, that's a giraffe in case you can't tell what that is. It's so old because it was like 127 years ago I was in fifth grade. But um, I've been doing this since, you know, forever, right? Since I'm that old. But that's pretty much where I
2: get those ideas. Yeah. I love that. Um, I love what you said about, um, you know, finding things in your life, just daily life, um, and things that give you big, strong feelings. Right. Uh, I love that. that. I think those are wise words for many writers. Um, So once you've kind of found that thing that maybe you want to explore, that nags at you, that bears a little bit more time, um, what's your next step after that? You have all those things in the notebook. How do you, do you flesh out an idea? Do you ask questions and research? What's kind of your drafting process once an idea forms? Um, okay, so I have, so let's say, look,
3: and I'm going to, I'm going to stick with nonfiction for this question, simply because fiction seems for me a little um, less linear, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's say I pick, I found this, I find this idea that I'm, that I have discovered. Um, perfect example, honeybee, right? Never thought they were that particularly interesting. I'm reading an article um, that's talking about how 90% of everything you put in your mouth is directly related to the honeybee or pollinators, the work that they do, which is something I found fascinating, ended up in one of my notebooks. So I think I'm going to write a book about honeybee, but I don't really know what. So I begin to do research just to discover a little bit more about the honeybee. Um, I'm sniffing around, really. That's pretty much what it is. I'm sort of exploring. I use that word a lot. I'm exploring, I'm sniffing around. Um, I gather a bunch of facts. This is how it worked with honeybee. I gathered a bunch of fascinating facts, absolutely fascinating. Oh, you know, worker bees are all female, 50,000 bees in a hive, um, 30,000 flowers to make up, you know, uh, just this tiny little ha- 12th of a teaspoon of honey. Um, but those are facts, not really, st- um, a story. And even when I'm writing fiction, I'm a storyteller, not a fact teller. Mm-hmm. And so what I begin to look for in my research is those things that I can connect to emotionally. What can I connect to? What, um I'd like say, referred to as that emotional heat. What's the heart of the story? What's the emotional connection that I have with this bee? And, you know, these are really cool facts, but I'm not really feeling much of a connection. And then I found out that they have this life cycle, that they live a life pretty similar to us. They grow up before they actually fly out of the hive, just like we grow up before we fly away from our mothers and fathers, right? So I'm thinking, ah, that's it. So now I have what I call my vital idea. What is my story really about? Now I go back and I do my research and it's far more pinpointed. So now I'm no longer um, exploring, discovering. Now I'm actually learning simply about um, those stages of a bee. Mm-hmm. right? So now I'm writing an actual story. Um, when I'm finally ready, when I think I know enough, and this sounds sort of silly, but it's true for me, um, the story sort of whispers how it wants to be told, or that it's ready to be told. I now know enough, mm-hmm. and then I will write it, and what I write is, I actually call it, I know, um, I, a rough draft, a first draft but i actually call it dumping down Ooh, I love because that. i know i just go just write it i write with a blue big pen i actually have them here uh i have them all because i'm writing this week obviously but i write with line, loose lean wife life well i can't even say loose leaf wide lined paper and a blue big pen that's how i write a first draft and if i don't know a fact or a piece of information that I know fits in the story, but I don't know exactly what it is. I don't go back and look at it. I just put a space or two, TK to come and fill it in. Um, and so everything I write, even fiction, is written that way. I dump it down. What I'm doing is I'm just finding that flow. Um, I'm being... Um, Letting out that the emotional part, especially with nonfiction. So I'm following the story. I'm just letting it flow. I'm not worried about stumbling over if my information is accurate or whatever at this point. Um, And so it all looks like this. And in fact, because you're sitting here in my office, I actually have this new book I'm working on, and it's it's not a picture book, but this is about a fourth of it, and that is my first draft. And you can see, yeah, you can see places that I scratch out it yeah so there it is um and that's that's pretty much what i do so it's a lot of paper um but but i love that you know what i love about the writing the writing by hand is that it's playtime for me it doesn't feel mm-hmm. precious it's um i don't have to keep it i can scratch it out i can crunch it up and throw it to the dog who's here on the floor today yeah. um I can push it aside. And what I also love is when I get done writing this way, I get done and I have blue cheap big pen pen all over my arm I can go around and go, I wrote today. <laughs> um, but it's part of the way that I at least fool myself into thinking, and it is, I wanna remind myself every time I sit down that, that for me, writing really is play and exploration and discovering. And, um, you know, if we just have to get to the heart of it. We just have
2: to find it. And that I think requires a lot of play. I you know. Yeah, I, I love how you're describing writing here. It feels just so low stakes and like something that anybody can try. It is low stakes and that anybody can try. And
3: if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's that, That's the other thing I love about this too. I put it away. I also save everything. I mean, I save everything because you never know when you're going to need it. But but you know what else is also great is that i'll read this first draft and i'll read the finished book if it becomes a finished book um and the difference is just amazing to me right and so there's a real it's like the finished book is the trophy and you go look at this look at this this was some really stinky writing yeah and isn't that wonderful
2: right yeah it is low stakes it's just fun And I feel like so much that you've said here translates um, so well into the classroom and what we want for our writers. Um, And if it's okay, that sort of brings me to my next question. Um, I noticed as I was reading, both as a reader and then as a teacher of writing, something I'd love to help young readers and writers notice and try out um, is something that really stood out to me as part of your craft is your incredibly vivid and precise word choice. I'm just blown away. Um, you just know how to say it just right to get that perfect, you know, sensory image in the reader's head. Um, I'm curious, how do you make decisions like that as an author about it? which word to choose? How do you cho- choose the just right word to bring yeah. your writing to life for the reader? And I love, thanks for noticing that because i work worked so hard on that just right,
3: just right word. But you know what? I think finding the just right word is a really fun challenge. And I think young writers, um, I think this is something that can actually, it sounds, dis, I don't mean to sound flippant, but I actually think this is something that they can easily do. And I'm gonna share my favorite writing tip because I do this all the time. Um, we always talk about theme and voice and style, but we oftentimes forget to talk about the atmosphere of a book, the mood of a book. Um, and especially if you're writing something short, like a picture book or a short story, um, all those have a, a one particular, a mood right? It has one overarching mood. Um, so I'm going to think about something like um, Giant Squid. It was a nonfiction book about Giant Squid. And What I realized was that the book was about their mystery, about the unknown, right? And so that's sort of the mood that, wow. that I want to evoke with that story. Okay, so what do I do? I actually, and I do this all the time, I actually sit down and I make a list of all the words that I can think of that evoke unknown mystery. Mm-hmm. And I made a list that had things like deep, dark, um, yeah, um, writhing, curling, um, um, lurking. And I made this list and I spent some time with it, a lot of time with it at by hand, again, BIC, right? Um, I did not use a thesaurus. I, I use a thesaurus very late in the process. So the list that I make, I even make up my own words because sometimes they, they, um, um, sound exactly right for my piece, right? And I've made the word up myself. But what I love about doing that, and why I don't use a thesaurus is a thesaurus is a choice. Like you open it up and there's six words for lurk, right? So that's a choice. It's like, I can choose this one or this one or this one. But if I sit back and I think about what words, what words make me think of the ocean and a giant squid, what words work? Um, That's me discovering and exploring once again, and making my own, finding my own way into that story. So um, I'll make a list, see how many things I can come up with, and I'll spend a lot of time with it Um, later in the. later i will admit later i will use a thesaurus and i'll go ooh exposes and i just did this this morning that's why i think of this is like exposes not the word i mean is it reveal what is it um, but but yeah i i love to make lists of words i don't even use a rhyming dictionary when i write some of that younger younger preschool stuff i like to see what i can come up with on my own um,
2: yeah that's truly fascinating i would have yeah,
3: i would encourage kids to do it yeah, yeah
2: yeah i would encourage them to 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 do it it's a lot of fun um and so i'm curious if the decisions about mood and and word choice follow similarly um in terms of maybe like and i couldn't think of quite the right word here um maybe like voice or style um that's something i noticed that you seem to make an intentional choice about um i noticed in books some books are more of like a poetic voice like honeybee or like giant squid sometimes it's more of a t- storyteller voice like um bulldozer's big day um or the um oh i'm forgetting the title the the seven birds to the seven baby birds oh, seven hungry babies yeah seven hungry babies um that one or sometimes it's like an expert voice like the rise and fall of charles Lindbergh. Lindbergh. and i'm using those voices because or those um, descriptors, because that's something I've used with my second and third grade writers before. Um, You might call them something different, but I'm just curious, um, how do you make decisions about which book is going to sound or feel which way for the reader? Um, You know, it really depends upon the material.
3: And uh, there's a couple things. It depends upon the material. It depends upon the genre, right? Um, It also depends upon the age of the reader. Um, So, um, And sometimes they simply want to surprise. I want to do the opposite. So, you know, honeybee and and giant squid are the the examples of me saying to myself, what we expect in a science book about a, a nonfiction book about. An animal is sort of a fact and a picture. Turn the page, a fact and a picture. Turn the page. I mean, they're they're better than that, but um, that's sort of that's sort of what they are. Sort of cut and dry. And I thought to myself, so let's do something different. Let's do something startling. And and frankly, um, they're love letters to I know. <laughs> I'm the only person that writes a love letter to us to win, but I did because I, you know, they're just such extraordinary creatures, and so for me it felt like the natural, the natural choice was that poetic voice. The same thing with Honeybee. It's the same thing. You know, I fell so deeply in love with, with the girls that um, there was nothing I could do but write them a poem. Um, but but there is some intentionality there about surprising the audience, giving them what they do not expect. Um, but oftentimes, simply the age of the reader and the material. Um, Charles Lindbergh requires an expert voice because I have a lot of explaining to do um, in terms you know, of aviation and World War II and that sort of thing. Um, what is eugenics? All of that had to be explained. So I really did have to put my expert hat on. And other times, the storyteller voice is exactly the right voice for especially, I think, um, preschool books, um, Bulldozer's Big Day. Mm-hmm. I did a, a fairy tale, an original fairy tale called Clever Jack Takes the Cake. And that too mm-hmm. is exactly, you know, it's exactly you go, well, if I'm going to set myself up to write a fairy tale, I'm going to need to use my storyteller voice. Um, so those are the those are the reasons, the material and the audience,
2: really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes uh, so much sense um, in terms of the intentionality behind the choices mm-hmm.
3: that you're making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes the obvious choice is you know the best choice and sometimes it's not so sometimes you know I do this frequently Is I'll mix it up you know like I said with giant squid let's try let's try something different if this is what everybody else is sort of doing and this is what we expect let's do the unexpected um yeah
2: I love that and and I think it um kind of shines a new light on what I was going to kind of ask next, um, my daughter, uh, she was very excited that I was getting to do this to talk with you and learn from you. And she wanted to just get as many of your books as we could at the library. And she just dove right in. And I noticed as she was done, she was creating piles. And I asked her what she was doing. And she said, well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what genre these are. But I think she was noticing what you just said about some things happen that are unexpected based on her, you know, prior experiences. So far, she has piles of biographies and what she's considering fantasy and what she's defining um, as literary nonfiction. So, <laughs> I love that. oh, she's your daughter. I can't. I can't. Oh my gosh. So, some really interesting discussions um, about what she's noticed um, in regards to your writing. So, I'm just curious, and you sort of answered this, but I'd love to know, like, sort of how you see genre. What do you define your books as fitting into? And if, if you have a favorite, which one is it?
3: Well, and you know what, I am broad.
2: Um, I try not to label
3: them too much. Um, again, because I'm always trying to do that unexpected. So the only only line that I have, are, I'm very definitive with, is it's either fiction or it's nonfiction. So if I've made up anything, anything at all, it becomes fiction, right? So um, if I don't, if I've stuck strictly within that factual fence, even if it sounds poetic and it reads like a novel, if I've stuck within that poetic fence, then it is nonfiction. And that's the only distinction I actually make. And I do this intentionally, um, because if I say to myself, and it's like it's so it's like, oh, you know the people are gonna listen to this and go candy Fleming fools herself a lot indeed I do um <laughs> because if I say to myself before I get started, I'm gonna write fantasy mm-hmm. um I'm I'm already kind of put a fence around the writing right mm. And the biggest concern I have for my own self when I'm writing is not to put a fence around the writing, which is why. When you read across my books, you find that I have so many genres too. It's simply because I like the challenge. I want to try something else out. Um, so I try not to label it too much. Um, and I'm gonna leave that to other people, like your daughter. I love <laughs> literary nonfiction. Tell her I'm totally taking that now. Um I love, I love it. it. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's that's the that's the only reason that I do that. Um I try not to go what is this that I'm writing instead I'm just going to say this, for whatever reason, feels like the right way to tell this story, it feels like the right way um, to shape the material if it's nonfiction, it feels like the right audience and the right way to tell it. Um, and I think that just comes from having done it so much that I just trust myself to go, yeah, we'll see. May no nobody else may like that. Nobody at my editor might not like it. But, uh, you know, for me, this is what I'm going to try to do. I mean, really, writing is just really all about exploration. It really mm-hmm. is just all about playing. It's all about finding the way that you want to say what you want to say and how you want to say that. And it doesn't have to be like everybody else's.
2: I love that. I love that idea of, like, not penning the writing in. Yeah. um, Just, like, kind of letting it be what it's going to be.
3: Let it be what it wants to be afterwards, right? Or when your students are done writing, you can take it to your daughter and ask her what she thinks (laughs) that is, right? Because a lot of people name it different things
2: anyway. So, So, you
3: know, if it's right, it's right. Good enough.
2: Yeah. Um, And you mentioned how you do have like a really wide range of work. And I think that was another thing she was noticing. And, and I just, I'm so impressed by how versatile you are as an author. um, And it feels like that's something that would take a lot of like confidence. And now hearing you talk, you know, it also takes a willingness to experiment and explore. So I'm curious, like, how, how is it possible for you to, as a writer, apply your skills across such a broad range of genres and text types? I'm kind of wondering, how did you find the confidence and agency as the writer to do that, to just sort of let the writing be what it's going to be? And in your opinion, what can teachers do to foster that same type of feeling about writing with their young, young writers? Kind of a two-parter, I guess. Yeah, I'm not, you
3: know, I I've been thinking about this and I'm not Real sure where that feeling that I'm completely free to do whatever I want to do comes from. I know that it certainly started when I was when I was a, a young writer. I had teachers that were like, "Do whatever you need to do." I had parents that were like, "Write whatever you wanted," and they would be really receptive about what it is that I that I wrote. Um, I'm fortunate now to have editors that definitely trust me when I say to them I know you're going to say I'm crazy but I would really like to write ghost stories a collection of ghost stories I've never done that before but I'd really like to try it um they go okay you know let's let's do that um and that certainly gives one confidence Mm -hmm. I think really I think writing confidence in your writing I mean I don't know really writer that's really confident I would tell you everything I write is is terrible and mm-hmm. and I wish I could have done it better but um I think what we think of as confidence simply comes from experience mm-hmm. um, from having done it enough so you know I'll look back on a book and I'll say wow I wish I had known to do X, Y, or Z, right? I go look at a book I published 10 years ago and I go, "Ooh, I see the flaws all over that place. You know, I can see them. And then, then I say to myself, because I've been doing this so long that I go, well, you know, it was the best I could do two, 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I'm better now. So, um, you know, that that confidence simply comes from doing it over and over. Um, what we can do, I think, to free young readers is 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 not make everything a project seriously i think sometimes we put too much pressure it's too um important right mm-hmm. um it's too what's the word i want but it really isn't it's not you not know, earth shattering here what we're doing we're, we're writing and writing is an extraordinary and wonderful and exhilarating thing i would never change it and i would encourage everybody to do it but at the same time i think sometimes what we do is we so worry about the finished project that we know yeah, longer focus on the joy of the process. Um, and if you can write one extraordinary uh paragraph, or if it's not extraordinary, but you had an extraordinarily good time, then mm-hmm. that is some, right, then that is something to really, really celebrate. And I think we don't celebrate those small moments in the process as much as we should have, you know. And I always say the finished book is like a trophy, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a trophy but you had a lot of fun along the way and if you don't get the trophies so
2: what you know I love those ideas of trusting yourself and being willing to just kind of play and enjoy the process
3: right and I know that we don't have a lot of time I think in the classroom to Mm -hmm. play and so um that, yeah, that would be my, th- how do you how do you become a more experienced writer? You experience more ways of writing. You experience as many failures as you do successes, right? Um, and when we have a project that we have to grade, then we no longer, we sort of take out that um, failing part, right? So we want to really get that really good grade. So this better be a really successful piece. And sometimes you learn more from what you didn't succeed at. Heaven knows, this is why, you know, I have my cover over the back because my file cabinets are not pretty um but in those file cabinets are all my dead stories that's what I refer to them my dead story drawer um they're horrible horrible stories some of them I wrote you know six months ago um I celebrate them and I keep them because I might use them someday but also you know they're they were worth the
2: work I love that thank you thank you for saying that that is something I will hold on to for sure
3: yeah um, that was worth the work yeah mm-hmm. and lots of times it's not even work let's face it mm-hmm. <laughs> it
2: really yeah. isn't you know especially when yeah. the way that you look at it as play and exploration and just enjoyment of the process yeah yeah, yeah. it's the later yeah. drafts that are as playful <laughs> and I think that comes through absolutely in your work um I was caring for my neighbor's children the other day and we had a bunch of books around and of course they asked about them And they're four and seven, and they sat down on either side of me, and we read five books just in a row without stopping. And they were just wrapped the whole time. And so these two kiddos, they want to know. In fact, the seven-year-old, you can tell she's been learning some stuff about writing and reading, because she said some of your books, in particular, Bulldozer's Big Day, Seven Hungry Babies, um, Go Sleep in Your Own Bed, are pattern books. And how old was she? Seven. She's oh, wow. Mm-hmm. wow! So smart. And she loves what, how at the end of all your pattern books, there's something unexpected. Yeah. So she picked up on that. Um, and she wants to know, uh, how long does it take you to do what you were just talking about, the work of finishing a book? And when you get that trophy, um, how long is that process? Is it generally the same? Is it different for every book? And she's also was very in love with all of the illustrations. So she wants to know about how you interact with the illustrator.
3: Illustrators,
2: I've been lucky. Um,
3: Okay, Um, the pattern book. So remind me again, what did
2: she wanna ask? She just wants to know really about books in general, but those were the ones she was really into um, about your books. How How does it take from idea to the trophy, right?
3: Okay, so every book, this is a terrible answer, but it's true, every book takes its time. And I've had some books. I remember um, Munch, Munch, Muncha. I was gardening my mm-hmm. own self and, and not successfully because it was my first garden and I actually had rabbits. In the yard, And I was battling my rabbits and they were very frustrating to me. And here's what happened. Um, I was frustrated. I came in the house. I sat down and I wrote a book, literally wrote Munch, Munch, Munch. I sat down and sort of wrote it beginning to end. Um, I think of it as a gift book because it's happened twice in my entire career or <laughs> I've written a picture book where I had an idea, it came, I wrote it. And, and um, I also will tell you that I believe that there must've been something else going on in my head before it came. Cause I, you know, yeah, but, um, so that book was super fast, but typically a picture book takes me about a year, Maybe wow. sometimes a year and a half before I finish it um, because they're like little poems. So you put them aside. You know, they're they're simple, but they're not simplistic. That's the thing about a picture book, which I always found so um, challenging and so wonderful about a picture book. And so I'll put it aside and I'll pull it back and I'll work on it a little bit and then I'll put it aside and let it sit and then I'll pull it back. It looks new after three or four weeks and then I'll put it back. Um, this is why I have more than one project on my desk. Okay time, right? So I typically have two picture books in some stage of something, a nonfiction book I'm in the middle of, and usually a piece of um, middle grade or, or something that I'm working on. Um, Especially, and that's mostly for those picture books that for me, anyway, the process is a little bit slower. So I have to put them away and bring them back and put them away and bring them back. Um, So I would say about a year for a picture book, but remembering that Um, I'm not working on it every day, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm thinking about it. Um, and then middle grade, you know, that if it's fiction, maybe a year, um, big pieces of nonfiction like Charles Lindbergh take me a good four years. And that's simply because of the, the, the process of doing the research and figuring it all out. And then of course it's a long, write. Um, so yeah, as for my illustrator, um, Typically, unless I'm working with my husband, who's an illustrator, that happens to be Eric Roman, um, who's upstairs. Yeah. And so those are, that's a different, that's a whole different thing. Um, But if I'm doing an illustrator that I'm not working with in my house, then I send a complete manuscript to my editor. She sent it to the illustrator. Um, With Eric, it's different. I'll show him if we have a project together, I'll show him what we're working on. Sometimes we go over the manuscript together. I'll look at his work. It's a lot more colloquial. Collaborative than I would with working with somebody like Brian Karras, right? So
0: I apologize for popping back in. I was looking at the time going, I, I saw
3: be- your face pop back in. I
0: was like, I want to <laughs> talk for another hour. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could
2: keep
3: talking to her. For
0: sure. was, like, else, but we have one more prompt and then we, we have to close off the show. <laughs>
2: yeah, um, sure. So if I were going to um, close out this uh, work with writers in my classroom or with adult. Um, teachers and writers, I might, or probably would ask them to return to their fierce wondering. So like to come full circle, um, do you have any new wonderings that you can add to your list at the end of our writing time? Or is there one wondering from before that you can pull out and put on a new page and just write towards it? Maybe you'll generate more questions. Maybe you'll try to answer it or tell the story of how that fierce wondering came to be. Um, Alternatively, if that wouldn't work for your setting. I really appreciate um, a see think wonder, um, asking people what they either heard or saw that sparked them or um, resonated uh, for them. And then I would ask them to think, okay, well, if that's what I saw and heard, what did that make me think in this instance about writing or teaching or um, living a writerly life? And then another scaffold, if that's what you saw and heard, and this is what you think, what does it make you wonder? So again, always in that realm of wondering, um, as you heard Candice say, that's what leads to a lot of her, of her writing and her books.
0: I think Tanya, maybe she'll agree with me. Of all the interviews we've done so far, I appreciated Candice's like frankness, like when she pulled out at the very beginning and she was shaking all the pages of drafts. And like, it was, it was definitely not the picture books that we're used to seeing or the long text. And I was like, oh my God. And you said something, well, you said a lot of things that I was like, I'm totally bringing this to my grad students, literary nonfiction, which your student brought to us, Megan, playfulness, drafting, ready to know and to discover. That's what, you know, I have to say, I, I feel enlightened tonight. Like, okay. you know, when you said, let it be what it needs to be afterwards. It's so brilliant. Don't make everything a project, let them explore. You know, so much of what we do in our classrooms is dictate towards a particular genre or a testing uh, mode. And when we really should be teaching the process, when kids love the process, they're gonna go, they're gonna be writing on their own, all types of things. And it's, it's just so beautiful. And, and your interview just reminded me of all that.
1: Well, thank you, thanks. Okay, I can't believe I'm gonna do this, but if I don't, my daughter will kill me. So yep. somehow, Candy Fleming, I was looking at all your new books and all your books this year, and I lost track that muncha 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 was your book. And now yeah. I'm almost in tears. Like so old. I my daughter is 20, and as soon as I, hang oh, up, I am so old, I am going to call her and say, <laughs> I just talked to the woman who wrote Muncha Muncha Muncha. Because we loved that book so much. Oh, my, my daughter, God. when she was little, had so, such a hard time like controlling her emotions. And that book with Mr. McGill gets matter and madder and matter, and all the words for angry that are in that book were, uh, oh my God, we love that book so much. Yeah, and
3: I love it. Well, that was every word I had for being angry at rabbits <laughs> and I could have found some other ones, but they were not appropriate for the picture. <laughs> so yeah, but that is oh that's so great. Do you know, I showed that not too long ago. Oh, well, I guess it is last last spring, um, to some kindergartners and I told them my story about gardening and I actually had this kindergartner looks beautiful, beautiful big brown eyes. She looks up at me and she goes, Oh, I said, so who's the story of really? Where and she goes, Oh, you're Mr. McGreeley. I said, I am. And she goes, Oh, I knew that because you looked at just like him. <laughs> huge, horrible farmer's hat and a hat. Oh my! okay that is hilarious you oh never ask them to be honest because they no. will if they will be <laughs> yeah because they will yeah
1: yeah anna is gonna die oh my goodness
3: During that i appreciate it that's that's like the made my day today
1: oh my gosh well you have made our day you and megan both uh- this is then, thank you that was those were great questions
2: well thank you and thank you for answering I, them. And I get to hope i'm good to i
3: hope i get to meet those amazing smart children of yours someday well she would love that so
2: <laughs>
1: uh i want to thank my co-host brian i want to thank you candy for taking your time and um being with us today and megan for being uh so well we're prepared by interviewing all the children in your community for the good <laughs> that's amazing that you brought. The expert, I want to thank listeners who are here with us and remind you that you should uh, join us at nwp.org and sign up for our newsletters so you never miss one of these amazing author teacher conversations. And um, also, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Um, Everybody, thank you so much for this pleasure. Fun and exciting conversation. And sorry, Kenny, one last thing. Thank you for bringing your fifth grade notebook. That was so yeah,
3: cool. fifth grade notebook. Just in case you think I was Kenya when I saw it in Kevin
1: I proof. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you, everybody.
3: Thanks, you guys. That was really, really yeah. fun. That was so You're much
0: fun. NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. w w, w-, 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 w-